the way that I am observing the industry and what's working for my businesses is changing because I'm continuing to add more data into my decision making. Welcome to Honest E-Commerce, where we're dedicated to cutting through the BS and finding actionable advice for online store owners. I'm your host, Chase Clymer. And I believe running an online business does not have to be complicated or a guessing game. If you're struggling with scaling your sales, Electric Eye is here to help. To apply to work with us, visit electriceye.io slash connect to learn more. Now let's get on with the show. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Honesty Commerce. I'm your host, Chase Clymer. And today I'm bringing to the show the best of both worlds for you uh, a subject matter expert, e commerce expert. You know, we can get more into that. And also a brand founder, Rebecca Joe. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I know. Thank you. It's, I'm so glad to have you on. We got a lot to talk about here. But I guess the one thing, the headline probably on the podcast maybe is going to be you were one of the core team members helping Glossier kind of just do the damn thing. <laughs> so let's just dive in. Let's talk about your background and your history uh, in e-commerce and kind of like the, just that whole experience there. And then we can kind of move on. Yeah, awesome. So how did I get into e-commerce? I grew up in a household. Um, my mom kind of worked in like data science at Ford Motor Company, using data to help sell cars. And my dad is computer science systems architect. So he built, you know, the backbone for like the stock exchange platform. And I grew up in a com- in a family that was very like technology and math focused. Um, I on the other hand wanted to like paint pictures and like Play with like a computer game where I could like uh, design a piece of clothing. Um, but when I went to college, I wanted to study graphic design, and my parents were like, "No, no, no! Like you need to study a hard science." So we basically compromised and ended up studying computer science and economics versus they wanted me to study math and physics. Um, and so I studied computer science. What I learned through studying computer science for four years is I'm like not a good developer, but I really love technology and I love thinking about kind of things as systems. So after I graduated NYU, I ended up finding my my way to Gin Lane. They're now called Pattern Brands, but you know they're an incredible digital agency at the time based in New York. And I joined the team as kind of like as a strategist, um, having like played all through college with like web design and like UX, also having a background in development, but being really a consumer of like fashion and more lifestyle brands. It was a great place for me to land. While I was at Gin Lane, we worked on digital projects that were both like marketing, you know, marketing websites to sell uh, Michael Kors' new fragrance. But we also luckily ended up working with a lot of these startups, D2C startups that were just forming. So you have like when Everlane was just launching, we worked with them on like the technology in their pop up shop. We're really lucky to work with Harry's in the early days, Reformation during their transformation. And so there I really got a taste of like, e-commerce as this amazing place where like my technical background, my business education, studying economics, my design um, background, and also just my sensibility as a consumer really came like all swirled together to allow me to be really good at my job. And then after I was at Jinling for a number of years, I had like an itch to want to like go to the other side. You know, when we worked on Reformation's complete website redesign, that when we worked with them, it was in 2014. They had at that point like three stores in New York and LA and started seeing traction on their website. Their website was like a PHP website. Like the images were like tiny. They're like 100 by 100 pixels. Um, but they were starting to see a ton of sales. And so they basically pivoted into direct-to-consumer business. And I feel like they've been, I would say, one of the most successful like fashion D2C companies. They really like were the case study and showed everyone that you could do it. And so we worked with them in that transformation. And it was so fun. But after launch, I was like, 
is it working? Like, let me look at the analytics. Like, how did this go? And although Reformation's team, like, I guess they, you know, indulge me a little bit with like, this is going well, this is going well. Ultimately, they had their jobs to do and they needed to sell, you know, like focus on selling product. And so they didn't really have time to like review how the website was working with me. Um, and so I ended up going in house. So I, so I met Emily Weiss and I was super excited to hear about Glossier and learn about kind of the vision. And it seemed like she had a hole in her team. She had the physical products done, she had the editorial, she had branding, but like, really, how do we bring this thing? to life online was what she didn't have a team for yet. So I convinced her to hire me. Um, And, you know, there it was just like amazing and so crazy to be a part of that rocket ship. I was like reminiscing about this other day that like the night before launch, me, her and Annie Kriegbaum, who ended up being um, the VP of brand over time, we like met up at my apartment in Bushwick from like 8pm to like 2am, just like working through combing every single last detail on the website before Glossier.com launched. It was like in October of 2014. And yeah, like I think there, like I really like I think before I was kind of thinking about like, okay, how does technology and design and me being a consumer work together? Then at Glossier, it was even beyond that of like, how does packaging product development, marketing, website design, analytics, development, customer service. How do these things all come together? Um, and really like, you know, it's a team effort that then like allows the customer to like buy a product, get it and be really happy. So yeah, that's kind of, I guess, like how I ended up in e-commerce. And um, since I left Glossy, I've been an independent consultant for the last five years, helping brands, startups, larger companies manifest themselves online. Most of them have called me and said like, I want what Glossier has. And I'm like, well, you can't have that, but we can kind of figure out how to like make that same type of magic for you. And then in the meantime, as Chase said, um, I started my own brand with my husband called Off Hours. Um, we launched it. We started working on it in 2016, actually, um, but launched in 2018. And we are an inactive wear brand. And we have this kind of like amazing, weird hero product called the Home Coat. It's a lip blanket that you can wear. That's awesome. So much to talk about there. This episode is brought to you by Klaviyo. Klaviyo helps brands deliver more personalized digital marketing experiences via email, SMS messages, social ads, and more. And since it's all driven by real-time e-commerce data, you can make sure every interaction feels more relevant. When you have a 360-degree view of the customer, the growth possibilities are endless. Visit klaviyo.com to schedule a demo. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com. So first and foremost, uh, when you were getting into e-commerce, uh, did you ever have this like odd feeling of like the numbers being like super fun? Like that's like kind of what hooked me to it. Uh, you know, I'd been done doing marketing and all that jazz. You know, just random stuff, cutting my teeth and learning about the industry. And then once I got into e-commerce, I was like, wait, like it's very tangible. Like if you make these efforts, like you can see the numbers work. And it, uh, that's kind of what like hooked me into it. Yeah, totally. I think um, I've never thought about it this way until just now. But before I started working more marketing and e-commerce at Ginlane, I was like more focused on like digital product. And I think that what to me actually what ended up happening with e-commerce is like it's like you kind of think about digital product and all the things you get to think about with the customer journey and like really refining to make a great experience. And you have marketing on the other side, like e-commerce is a marriage of those things. It's like, yep. it's highly, you can track how something's doing, you know, but then on the other side, it's very focused on a customer and that they're having a really good time. And the idea of like something that really allows you to blend those two things for me, I think like, I'm always said, like, I'm left brain, right brain. I'm like an Aquarius and a Virgo. Like I see myself as very like executional, like yet like strategic. And I think e 
e-commerce is definitely those different, like the yin and the yang mixing together. Oh, absolutely. It's, you know, it's gotta be finding that right bit, blend of like form and function is like the, the cornerstone of a great user experience and like a great website design in the e-commerce space. Uh, and it's, that's essentially what everyone's working towards when you, you have a big website build or something like that. But it's also one of those things where it's like, it doesn't stop. It's constantly evolving. Totally. Yeah. And it's like funny because I was thinking about when you were asking me to like, uh, what we should talk about on this podcast. You know, I think e commerce today, the landscape, how it looks, it feels like it's always been this way with these like branded e commerce websites where there's storytelling and you can convert. But actually, when I was thinking back, it's like when I we did that Reformation website, when I worked at Glossier, like most e commerce experiences still more or less felt like. Amazon or like a Macy's.com. Mm -hmm. This idea of branded e-commerce really hadn't been done. And so at Glossy, it was like we were saying, like, we're gonna sell beauty products entirely online. Like people thought we were like crazy. Like literally, there's just a New York Times article called like what it means to be a Gen Z beauty company, I think. And there was a quote saying, like, when Emily Weiss set out to do what she did in 2014, it was like unheard of. Like no one tried to sell makeup without people being able to touch it. Um, and I think that like we were a part of this like movement of like how do we not only like introduce someone to a brand intoxicate them in a world but also give them all the information that they need to convert like what are the ingredients how does it feel like how do i use it you know what does it look like on my skin tone um do other people have other people use it and had they seen results and it was funny like we were i think we did a really good job of balancing these two elements but when we launched we had plenty of investors and industry people emailing um our team saying like your website is not best practice like your text is overlapping your images like there's these weird icons that have here when I hover on different pictures. Like that was something we did. We did like randomize um, the icons from the sticker set, like randomize and showed when you hovered over images. Like this isn't what Everlane or Warby Parker's website looked like. Like we get it's cool, but like no one's gonna buy on this website. And you know, I kind of like I had to deal with all those like inquiries and trying to build confidence in the team of like, trust me, like our customer is different. What we're trying to do is different if we're saying we're a business that's about like irreverence and changing the beauty industry. Like our website ultimately needs to reflect that and have edge. Um, and it like worked, but I think it's like really interesting to like now it's like you see Recess's website or you see XYZ new D2C brand, like their websites take risks, their websites feel like a whole world. And I think that in the last five years, we kind of like that has seemed to be commonplace. But the reality back then, it was like very like those two things were not connected. Um, even like funnily enough, I remember one of my first clients was like, Hey, like I need help. My website's not selling my product. Um, can you like help me? I'm like, okay, great. Go in, take a look at analytics, talk to her, etc. And then I come back to her, I'm like, listen, the website design is not great, but that is not the problem. The problem is your photography and it's your copywriting because you are trying to sell a product that is a premium luxury product, but your photography makes it look like it should belong on, I don't know, Amazon Forever, Forever 21. So like that's the key thing we need to talk about first. And then ultimately we change the images, we change the product copy, uh, the copywriting, and then we did a website redesign and like sales went up, conversion, all those things happen. But like if I had just said like yes we'll like rebuild your website because it's a little bit slow or like the fonts could be chicer like none of those results would have really happened because all these different components that make up this world um they depend on each other 
Yeah, I mean, content is the number one thing. Uh, and I spoke about this last week. A lot of people, when they're like kind of going into that first redesign after hitting their 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 stride with their product, uh, their examples are Glossier.com. Like they're they're sending us <laughs> websites that are like, this is a five hundred thousand dollar website. Like I hope you know that. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, yeah. And it was like, also like take a look at this list of websites that you just shared with us. Like the the one thing that they all have in common is they have amazing assets. These this photography. Mm-hmm. The, the graphics, the video, like all of this stuff is top notch. Do you have mm-hmm. that? Because <laughs> if so, it's going to make my job a lot easier. But like, yeah, yeah. If you're trying to, you know, compare things here, you got to, you got to invest in the content and the assets if you really want a website that's going to be uh, taken seriously and like to get you to that next level and instill that trust. And, uh, you know, going back to kind of what you said about best practices, it's like, yeah, best practices exist for a reason, but you can break a few of them. If you break all of them, you're probably going to have a bad time, but like yeah. you just pick and choose. And then it's like, yeah, it's, you know, that's what makes it fun. And that's like why there's anytime you talk to like any brand founder, they're just like, like we did it like a way that no one else has done and it worked because like there is no right path. There is no like set of decisions that need to be made. It's just trial and error. And usually, you can use some data and 9 times out of 10 your guess is going to work out if you got some data to back it up totally yeah i'm always when i'm thinking about with clients or even for off hours it's like where are the places we can take risks and where should we be a little bit safer and for me it's always like anything that's more conversion related let's play it safe like if you're at a store and you can't find where the checkout is like that's like even in a real life situation like that's a problem but like beyond that like there's a ton of stuff that we can play with especially the like the consumer or like the internet user today has matured so much. Like, I mean, I, even when I'm using Snapchat, I'm confused as to where like some of it like UI is, but like if they understand how to use those types of like experiences, like an e-commerce website, even if maybe like something is slightly, you know, in a place that they didn't expect or a button is a little bit bigger. Like we, there's so much tolerance for that today versus like, let's say like in 2005, like, yes, you show someone a website that is more experimental. Like they'd be like, Whoa, like I'm not going to trust this. Um, to the content thing that you were just talking about, actually very timely today, we're recording this care of just was announced to be acquired by Bayer last night. And, um, I worked with the care of team during their launch. I like knew Craig from when he was at Bonobos. They were a client of ours at Gin Lane. And he, you know, we worked on a number of different things, but one of the things was really like defining a photography style. He was also one of the ones that was like, you know, we want to have the spirit of what Glossier is, like what made them successful. And so there was a number of things we've worked through, but one was really like a signature photography style because when Glossier launched, the photography was so signature that customers would just be sharing that on Instagram all day, every day. It's like free brand marketing. Um, and so I worked with Craig to really think about like, okay, what is like a photography style for you? And I brought in this like amazing art director named Sarah Kissel, who had come from like Nasty Gal before. Um, and we kind of like collaborated on that. And like we defined this like photo style that was like we worked with this photographer Lauren Coleman and she did this amazing set styling where it's like the vitamin was in the middle and then there was all this prop styling around the vitamin that really spoke to like the transparency and ingredients and what is actually in a vitamin because it's like you know before um, care of you would go to GNC you'd buy a vitamin it's like I don't know what's inside it might be sawdust but like someone told me to take this versus care of really try to bring transparency and like it's ashwagandha it's like an ancient you know root that is like doing X Y and Z for you your prenatal vitamin has a little bit of a and like a little bit of sorry i don't know what's in a prenatal natal vitamin <laughs> but it has like all these proteins we use photography to really explain that and like that's for us like not only do we want to create like a signature photography style so that when you saw a photo from carob you'd be like this is definitely not from gnc but also the photo really taught you things about ultimately what the company stood for and i think that's something that like 
I do see that like, I think a lot of brands are understanding that they need to invest in good photography. That doesn't just mean like hire expensive photographer, make it look good. It's like, how do you use photography to communicate the core essence of your value add? And so for Gloss Day, it was a lot about like this like effortless energy. It was about skincare as makeup, showing real skin. We did a lot of stuff with hands so you could see the scale of the product because you wouldn't really be able to touch it. Um, but using like photography as a communication device, I think when I see co- new companies launch and they really just nail it, you're like, not only is this a beautiful photo, but in a way, this is a photo that like wouldn't make sense for any other brand or any other vertical, if that makes sense. Because it's like it's a very specific communication tool that you develop to like without words, without even a website, when someone sees the photo, they get a sense of like why your company exists. Yeah, yeah. That's a great way to look at it. Uh, tying the photography style back to just being an extension of your brand is a fantastic, you know, project to take on. But it's probably something that you you can't take on right away, you know, I think you might need you need to kind of like do some experimentation first, figure out who your market actually is, make sure that there's a market for whatever you're trying to sell. You know, that kind of goes back before that. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest today, all of your customers are going to have questions. And what are you doing to manage all those questions? Do you have a help desk for your business? One of our sponsors of today's episode is Gorgeous. And Gorgeous is the number one rated help desk for e-commerce. It integrates seamlessly with Shopify. We have installed it on a bunch of stores. It's also used by brands like Movement and Rothy's. And what it does is it takes all of your customer insights and information, brings it into one amazing dashboard so you can solve their problem as quickly as possible. If you want to give Gorgeous a try, visit gorgeous.link slash honest. That's G-O-R... G-I-A-S dot L-I-N-K slash H-O-N-E-S-T to get your second month free. But I guess, you know, that's a that's a good transition to now, you know, with going from being a consultant to launching your own brand, you know, what happened in that journey that, you know, was surprising to you, like being on that side of it? Uh, is there anything that like uh, you want to share with the audience to kind of help them in their journey if they're launching a brand soon or if you know they're they're struggling to get off the ground kind of any insights there? Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, so it's like I had worked at Glossier, I was like the third employee. I've worked with all these startups, but nothing is really like truly launching your own company and for off hours my husband David and I decided to bootstrap the company. You know, we really like wanted to you know, for, for us, it was like a thesis and like putting ideas out there that we could live with and like continue to push forward um, versus like with a client and inevitably there's like an end date to a project. And then you're like, hey, I was thinking about you in the shower the other day and I had this idea. But like, ultimately, it's like not really how the relationship works. So we bootstrapped the company. We didn't take any outside investment. You know, we initially actually off hours started as a concept in sleepwear and loungewear. Um like I had a specific observation that like when I went to buy new sleepwear, there was nothing in the category that I was particularly excited about. Either there were these like super high-end pieces on like a net porte like a silk robe and a silk nightdress. And it's like they're beautiful, but like I have a dog that like sleeps on me and I also like spill like ice cream on myself. So it's like I'm not buying sleepwear that I have to like dry clean. On the other hand, you I would go to like a Victoria's Secret or like a gap and it's like there's comfy items here, but none of them are things that I like desire or like have any lust for. It's just like, oh yeah, it's like a t-shirt. Oh yeah, it's a sweatshirt. So that's kind of where off off hours started in sleep and in lounge. And we had designed out this like larger collection that was around this idea of like interesting pieces that were inspired by like 
out or wear in fashion. And what ended up happening is because we self-funded it, we're like, we can't afford to like make this like line of six products in different sizes. So um, we started basically like doing testing with our friends and showing them the lineup of like, here's a sweatshirt, here's like a top, here's like a dress, you know, we had like all these ideas. And then the home coat was one of those products. We're like, oh, this is like a product that we're going to do eventually because it's like kind of conceptual. It's this like blanket meets a robe. And everyone was like, yeah, like everything else is cool and I want it. But like, I need that right now. Like, when are you making it? We're like, no, we're not going to make it for like three years. It's like something we could do like a collab with like, you know, like a high-end brand with. They're like, okay, yeah, but like, I really want that. And we heard that so many times. And at some point, David and I sat down and we were like, he was like, I had worked, he had worked at Bonobos and he was like, Bonobos was about the pant. Like they got the pant, right? That's how they built their whole business. And then they expanded. Why don't we focus on one product? We'll just start with a home coat. We don't have the money to like fund all this product development. And I was like, at first kind of hesitant. And then after I thought about it, I was like, okay, wait, no, like this is, this is brilliant. And this is also what we're hearing in our consumer testing, which is everything else was like, that's cool. That one was like, oh my God, I need this right now. And so we ended up going down this path from like 2016 to 2018 to really like build out this home coat. I mean, if you've seen a photo of it, it is like a kind of like a funny object. It's like a blanket needs a robe. It looks kind of, we think like very chic and um, intentional, but it's made of fabrics like sweatshirt and t-shirt, which are really, really comfortable. And we ultimately like the initial observation that led us into sleepwear is what we answered with the home coat, which is how can we do a product that's so comfortable but something that actually you desire and you want in the way when you see like a new sneaker or a really cool dress that a fashion designer releases, you see it and you're like, emotionally, you don't even know why you're like, I need it. So that's what we really, I feel like have accomplished with the home coat. But that, you know, that part was fun. And then it's like, okay, we have our product, we can like design the website, we can do the branding, we can like get some friend favors, do the photography, and we can launch it. And these are all the things we know, of course. And it's like, okay, yeah. And then we launch and it's like, what about the operations? You know, what about the shipping, which is like our product is huge. It's six pounds. It's a giant box. Where were we going to store all these home codes? Like, you know, and now it sounds like, oh my God, of course. But like, you just, you know, you're only looking at what's in front of you and you only know what you know. And so we were so focused on the brand. Ultimately, that was great. And I think that's a large reason that like off hours is where it is, is that we really built this like brand that, um, is so hardworking and a product that kind of sells itself. But there were so many things we had to learn. Um, David and I, you know, we like hand fulfilled for like the first year and a half. And we had, I like at the very beginning, it's like I'm carrying with a trolley, like 25 boxes, seven blocks in New York to like the closest USPS. Like those are all things that we were like, why are we doing this? Like, this is so crazy. But you know, I'm, you know, like I listen to on your podcast or on how I built this and like so many early businesses, you end up having to go through things like that. Um, and I think also beyond that, it's just like learning about, I think the biggest challenge for us is like knowing when to take the right risks and like knowing when to take the bigger bets. Cause we've really run the business as like, let's have the market, let's have the customer tell us where to go. And so we really rely on like inbound because for us, it's a way to really get a sense of like where our message is sticking versus 
we didn't want an idea that was like catching on because of the large ad dollars behind it. And then once the ad dollars started to go away, or if Facebook and Instagram was like, you know, less, uh, not working as well, which like we all know it's like, I mean, it's still okay, but like, we know there's a ticking, <laughs> there's a clock there. Um, we don't want to just be dependent on that. So we really like have listened to see where this product sits and if there's like a real demand for it. And we have like had that signal validated essentially, but now there is something that we're challenged with is like how big of a bet should we make on inventory? Like how much should we push on paid marketing? Because neither like I, we're both learning and I have like taken like finance class for HBS. And like, you know, I've got together with my friends who are really great on the growth side and the paid marketing side and looking at a model and like cat this, like unit economics, all this stuff. Like I understand and can like, I'm very fluent in those areas, but still like with your own business and your own money, it's very hard to figure out like, yeah, like what kind of bets we should make. And it's funny because then we'll talk to like a paid marketing person. They're like, Oh, of course you guys should order like X tens of thousands of products. We'll put this much money into paid marketing. It's a no brainer your CAC is, you know, incredible. And we're like, Oh, okay. Like, but you know, for us, it's like, that's not our area of expertise. And so it's so much fun for us. Like off hours, it's been so incredible because we've gotten to work with so many people that we already were in our network or people that we really like respected in different ways, photographers, paid marketing, you know, PR, et cetera. And it's a giant learning experience. And like, ultimately, like, what more can you ask for? Yeah, I think, uh, I don't know. It's just as a side, like we're launching a brand ourselves here shortly. So it, it's it's fun to put your money where your mouth is. Oh, exciting. Yeah, yeah. It's fun to put your money where your mouth is. And also, like you said, like you don't know until you do it. Like as a consultant in e-commerce, like, you know, we're like super on the Shopify side of things. So like we're kind of only dealing with Shopify whatever touches it. Uh so like we're not really dealing with like sourcing 3PLs or like helping with inventory mm -hmm. or you know any of that stuff isn't really what we're doing these days which is you know mm -hmm. it is what it is but like that's stuff that we need to learn and it will only help us grow as professionals so I'm excited to kind of dive in there yeah totally um it's a lot of fun and you know I think at the end of the day you know you talk to other business owners it's like everyone if it takes 10 things to make a successful e-commerce business everyone starts by like being an expert or like has the background in like only a subset of those, right? And everyone rounds it out over time. I think that it's just a part of the journey. And um, for us, it's like with it being our own company, the feedback loop, like I left Jen Lane to go to Glossier to like get a better, like a type to get closer to the feedback loop of if what I was doing is really making a difference. And I think off hours is a continuation of that, of like getting even closer in that feedback loop of like, oh, the product, the specific product, the size it is, the unit economics, the marketing, the branding, the name, you name it, all of it is one machine, right? It's like a car that you're driving around. Every single piece depends on the other. Um, and it's really cool to start to understand how they how they work and then being able to like optimize or like, we need to get this part changed. <laughs> um, we need to upgrade this this piece. Um, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, there's definitely you have to wear a lot of hats as a founder, especially a brand founder. And uh, you you mentioned like you know there's like ten things like that's a made up number, but like you gotta you gotta understand a lot about uh about your business. But it's not something that you need to be an ex like you don't need to be an expert in all these things. You just need to be able to have a conversation about them and understand the responses you're getting from whomever it is you're working or working with, be it like an employee or a consultant or an agency. Like you need to be able to understand like what cost of acquisition is, what your margin is. Like these are things you're gonna need to go in and learn. You know, it's not the fun part of it. No one likes the math of it. 
Well, some people do, but <laughs> <laughs> but like it's you just got to understand your numbers because without knowing your numbers, you're destined to fail. Like honestly, if you don't know like that you're losing money acquiring customers through Facebook because it's it's more expensive now, like you're essentially just like running out your run rate. Want to get each new episode of Honest E-commerce sent straight to your phone? Join our VIP texting list for updates on new episodes and exclusive deals from our partners. Text Honest VIP, that's H O N E S T V I P, to 72599 to join. By the way, we're powering our text messages with PostScript, the number one text message marketing app for Shopify stores. Check out the show notes for a link to install PostScript for free today. Yeah, I think for us, it's like I. Even though I've never worked on, I you know I haven't had like a job in like a finance department. Like I said, my with my parents, it's like I grew up on the weekends having to like solve like math logic puzzles, and I actually did get a hundred on my math SAT. Um, but it's just about like a new lens to look at the business, right? So now, like that, I've worked with friends to help build out a model to like have this spreadsheet that allows me to basically diagnose where there are issues. It is makes a ton of sense, but. It's just about like being able to frame that problem in that way. Initially, with our business, it was like we put in an initial investment. We were like, okay, we're making a bet of like we're ordering 200 units. Do we think we can sell 200 units to our like friends and our network? Yes, we think we can do that. But if we can't do that, then really this business shouldn't exist. And then we've since cash flowed the business. And until I think like mid uh, the beginning of this year, we basically have just been like, however much is in the bank account, we can spend. And we also just want to make sure we can pay off all our credit cards. And that's just how the business has turned. And like, at the end of the day, we haven't gotten into a lot of trouble because that math is very easy to be like, if you don't have this money, don't spend it. But that's also kind of why the business like hasn't grown in the way necessarily at its full potential. Because we haven't said like, okay, but let's like take 10 of these things, put it into the business because it's going to bring... 30 more. Um, and earlier this year, I think we finally based on like our customer feedback and the numbers that we had gotten and just general like feedback from other people in our network of like, no, 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 like the core economics of this business work really, really well, you guys can have the confidence to like, put your kind of like, foot, like you can kind of like step on the gas now. And but it's, you know, it's now more than ever, it's really important to have all those metrics tracked in the right way and understanding as where the money's going and how it's flowing out. And if ultimately, you're profitably acquiring a customer. Yeah, yeah, that's the part that no one really talks about when you talk about scaling. It's like, yeah, you got to do all this math stuff, you got to understand all these numbers. And you got to do a lot of equations. I mean, it's it's honestly, it's pretty simple and you can do it on a spreadsheet. Yeah. But it's like you need to know these numbers. You need to know these numbers so then you can like see, you know, cash in and what cash out's going to look like. And then the reason that's important is because anytime you're buying inventory at scale, you're essentially putting money in like a block of ice and like it's you can't access <laughs> it until it until it melts, aka it sells. Yeah. So that's where it gets weird and you got to start like understanding how your cash flow works and how your money can help you make more money if you can, you know, that's when businesses are working is when you can put a dollar in and get more than a dollar back. Like, you know, you got something. Totally. Uh, but then understanding like how long you're going to have to wait to get that dollar back is like the scary part. And that's like what separates winning businesses from losing businesses. Totally. I guess like to talk about like what we did right, just to give us a little bit of credit. I think, you know, we had a lot of great initial theses about like what. Um, would be important for a business like this to work on the more product brand and marketing side. Um, and 
I think even more so by this being our own company, we've really been able to expand and experiment in a way that was harder being an employee or just like being a client. So I think like, you know, I had always seen with the clients that I work with, it sounds so obvious when you say it out loud, but it's like a differentiated product that is easy to market is so, so important, right? So it's like our product, even though it is, you know, at a high price point, it's still like we knew when we showed it to customers and like our friends, it's like there was that magic of like, oh my God, I need it. I see it. Like, this is something I want. It's not a robe. It's not like anything out there for us. Like, thank God we had that. Then we have made a product that's unisex and one size fits all. So our inventory management is simple. If I, I think if we had done something where we had multiple sizes and like multiple SKUs, like the business would have never survived, at least not in the like kind of bootstrap manner that we've been able to run it. Um, So we have like very like simplified, like kind of inventory operations. And then so like a really great product, if you can, and actually that advice I got from a friend, um, Justin, who's been at Brooklyn and forever, I think he's now maybe like, I don't know, he's a CMO or VP of growth or something, but he's the best. And I had met with him in the early days. And he's like, anything you can do to like minimize the number of SKUs. Cause like a company like Brooklyn and our Casper, it's like you have all the different bed sizes and then you have all the different like prints and then you have the fitted sheet or the knot. And he was like, if you can simplify, I will tell you that will make your life easier. So that's something that we took to heart and we're like, okay, great. We're listening to you. And beyond that, it's like, okay, so a product that's differentiated and easy to market. So I think that was a big thing for us. Like when we thought about this product, like, can you talk about it very simply in a photo? Is it like very recognizable? I feel like people have probably heard the story of like Harry's razor that was on an orange background. That was so important in the early days on Facebook. Arbitrage was really a thing because that like razor really stuck out in the feed. So for us, we thought about like a product that when you saw in an ad somewhere, you weren't confused like, wait, what are they selling? It's like, it like hits you over the head of like, what is this like puffy thing that this person is wearing? Um, and then as we built the brand, it's like we knew that like beyond this product, it needed to stand for something that really emotionally connected with a consumer. And so, you know, the idea of like, why is there all this fun and attention and money spent in the things that you wear outside of your home? But there's no attention and love to like what you how you spend your time at home with like, in theory, the people that are the most important to you, you're like kids, your significant other, the friends that you invite into your home. And so I think emotionally, that's where it started. But then we also just started, especially like me, my husband really like pushed us to develop this more of like, in our society, it's like always on active wear, like, you know, um, what is it called? Um like active rest, even when you're not working, you're working out and then you're with a friend. There was like, there wasn't really a space or a conversation for like, it's fine that after work, you just want to go home and put your phone on an airplane mode and do whatever you want. That might be watching 25 cat videos on YouTube. It might be organizing your books in like color order, or it might just be doing absolutely nothing and just like sitting with your thoughts. Um, And so I think for us, it's like we have this product that's easy to market, but then behind it, it stands for something bigger. And it's a part of like an emotional and cultural conversation that we all are like that we felt like was kind of missing. And one that like really felt inclusive. I think when we looked at the home category, there was a lot of brands that like we were consumers of and admired like a Hasami porcelain or a parachute home that really painted these like very idyllic 
pictures of what a house looked like, which is like, it's organized, it's chic, it's minimal. But then for us, we realized like the reality of our home, although my husband is like a neat freak, it's like, it's messy. And like, you go to a friend's house and that's where you really discover who their real personality is. They have all these like weird little lighters they've collected over the years. Or, you know, you go to someone's home and that's where their kids are and there's drawings on the wall. And so for us, from a branding perspective, I think you might see this when you go to off hours. The world is very rich and eclectic because we ultimately felt like that really reflected the space that we were going into, which is like people's homes. It's like this tapestry of like where you keep your most intimate items and allow those people in your life to come and visit. Um, And that was really fun. I think that was different. Like most, I would say new companies still have like a very like specific aesthetic, like Glossier is defined by pink and they have a very great photo style that's like very rich now, but there's a look. Um, You look at any of the other startups, it's like there's a photo style, it's recognizable. It's one, you know, it's one thing. For us, we were lucky to be able to say like our product is so signature that the actual visual worlds we're able to create can really be dynamic. And that's been so much fun. I mean, like that also just plays to our strength of being able to work with different photographers, different animators, different writers to like interpret this like world of the home and show people, I think, just visually that like anyone is welcomed in. And like no matter who you are and what your relaxing style is, like this can be for you. This is not just for like the super chic woman who has like a southwestern home that has a cactus in the background and you know like this and that. It's like I think sometimes with brands today, like the visual style can be so specific that it can it it targets a very specific person, but can be alienating to someone who doesn't see themselves in that way. And so that's been really fun to like, play out and experiment and actually see work. And I think a lot of we've had a lot of comments from people within the brand industry world of like, Oh, like this world you've built is so rich, like you don't have one style. And we very inherently we very like, um, we did that in a very intentional way from the beginning because we wanted to be able to like work with different types of talents, be able to partner with different types of companies and not for it not to feel off brand ever. I mean, to never ever, ever have to go for a rebrand really. Cause it's like, it doesn't get old if it doesn't stay the same. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Rebecca, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show today. Is there anything uh, that I forgot to ask you that you want to leave with the audience before we go? Um, let me think. I don't think so. I mean, I think we talked so much about just like how different all the different departments and the disciplines like really need to work together. I think ultimately, like that's what I feel like has been like the most interesting perspective that like has really guided me through like my whole time in e-commerce is like never to like allow there to be tension between like the brand marketing team and the growth marketing team. Or it's like, well, these people want to like optimize conversion, but like, ew, we don't want to do that because we want a nice website. It's like, no, no, no. Like, these two things are not at odds. These two things can work together. And when you start to like bring those people around the table and problem solve together, like that's when the magic really happens. Um, and I think for me, like both my time at Jen Lane, my time at Glossier as a consultant building my own company, it's like nothing comes through more than like every single piece of the pie, like work has to work together for you to really kind of like make magic. Um, and ultimately that also requires you to like not be scared to be a part of conversations or work with people in areas that you're not familiar with. So like now it's like I'm working with ops people, finance people, so I can learn as much as I can so I can take it back to the areas that I'm the most like um, familiar with. And I think that you know it also just like for me it's like I'm always learning. Like I've never like just like this is the thing I know. I rinse and repeat over and over again. But my perspective and the way that I am observing the industry and what's working for my businesses is changing because I'm continuing to add more data into my decision making. That's so true. Uh, Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us today. 
Cool. Thank you. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show and sharing their journey and knowledge with us today. We've got a lot to think about and potentially add into our businesses. Links and more information will be available in the show notes as well. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, feel free to reach out and learn more at electriceye.io slash connect. Also, make sure you subscribe and leave an amazing review. Thank you.